Welcome to the Get Loved Up podcast. I'm Koya Webb, founder of Get Loved Up, where we inspire you to love yourself more, love others more, and love the planet more. Each week, I'll interview a special guest who will share their insights on how they practice daily self-care, tackle tough challenges in life, and thrive in the world one breath at a time. You will be inspired to take control of your life as you heal yourself mentally, spiritually, and physically, and create a reality in alignment with your deepest passions. Let's get loved up. Sean Stevenson is the author of the international best-selling book, Sleep Smarter, and the creator of The Model Health Show. He is featured as the number one health podcast in the U.S. with millions of listener downloads each year. He just penned his new book, Eat Smarter. As a graduate of the University of Missouri-St. Louis, Sean studied business, biology, and nutritional science. He went on to be a founder of Advanced Integrative Health Alliance, a company that provides wellness service for individuals and organizations worldwide. Sean has been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, The New York Times, Muscle and Fitness, ABC News, ESPN, and many other major media outlets. To learn more about Sean, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Sean! Oh my goodness! It's so good to see you. I'm pumped to be here and talk about all the things. I cannot wait to talk about all the things. I feel like it was almost like a year ago when I was on your podcast and we just had a ball. Yes, good time. Very, very, so many good vibes. I like, I'm I'm about vibes. It was such a good vibe. You have such a good vibe. Even your voice, where you came on, your voice makes me feel calm. And just being on your show, and you've had so many amazing people on your show, I just feel warm. And even listening to your show, I just feel like you really care about people and you really are getting that good information out. And I am so, so honored to have you here today. And I really want to unpack you some more. I really want to understand how did you decide to take this journey towards health and how did you decide to let health be your your main? Um, it, it definitely was not planned. It was not intentionally planned. Let me put it like that. Um, you know, coming from where I'm from, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, Ferguson, Missouri. I never met anybody that even went to college or let alone graduate from college or anybody that was, quote, successful, you know, but I always had this feeling that I was going to do something great. And I think there's some nature versus nurture stuff there, but my grandmother was a big influence for me and just kind of instilling that in me. And you know, for me, what I saw in my environment was, you know, the drug dealers had the they had the best cars. They had, you know, they had some, they just seemed like they were doing well. And then also some of my friends, uh, like brothers, like people that, again, I didn't know them personally, they might get a scholarship to go play football, basketball. Um, so that was my way out, you know, was to play sports and everything looked good. I was that guy, like everybody, you know, you, the, the neighborhood, you know, uh, sports guy, you always pick him first. You know, I'm out there. Once I got into high school, I ran a four five forty, which is like combine times, you know, when I was just a kid, when wow. everything was looking really good. Got all these wonderful game films, doing all <laughs> these crazy things. But, you know, it was when I was 15 years old, later that year is when everything really kind of spiraled downward. And it was I was at track practice 
running a time trial. I was doing a 200 meter sprint with my coach. With this time trial, it's just me and my coach and this one other person running with me. And coming off the curve into the straightaway, my hip broke. I broke my hip from running, right? The iliac crest. Yes, the, the, the top of my hip bone broke. And I didn't know what happened. I just thought maybe I pulled a muscle or something. I didn't know, but I just, my leg wouldn't fire. I couldn't walk right. And I kept, I came to practice like two more days being a typical guy. But then my uh, coach had me go to get you know, a scan done and the physician saw it. He was like, oh, that's the problem. Look at your, your hips broke. Ah, uh, okay. But being so, like, I have no idea, like so many people, what's happening in my own body, right? So I don't know what to do. And he, what, he gave me what's called standard of care, which is take some NSAIDs, anti-inflammatory drugs, stay off the leg. And one of the interesting things that he did do was some ultrasound therapy, which I just want to throw this out there because sound, ultrasound is literally using sound to heal you. Mm. But I'll just put that, I'm going to just put that in a little, little package and leave that there for, for, for another time. But I, I got better, you know, as far as the, the bone healing. And, but that was the first of a half a dozen more injuries that completely annihilated my, man, I, I was getting, uh, the D1 school, everything was looking so good. Mm. And now it's nothing, it went silent. I've got game films where I'm going to, you know, five yards from the end zone. I've already beaten the defensive back. Nobody's around and I fall to the ground because, you know, tearing a muscle, like just like, it's just, my body just started falling apart. And, you know, to, to put the end to the story of like, what the hell is going on? Is when I was 20 years old, I finally get this diagnosis. I had a degenerative bone condition. My bone density was extremely low and degenerative disc disease at this point, where the disc in between the vertebrae and my spine had deteriorated so much that my physician told me I had the spine of an 80 year old man, just a kid. So, what? So, yeah, yeah. So it was like absolutely earth shattered. Listen, I can share this with you. I don't always mention this. I don't, it was like some kind of like amazing future casting. Maybe like, it's kind of like myself now jumped into my old body back then when I was 20. And I asked this question. I had no grounds to ask. There's no concept in my reality that this mattered. But when he told me that I had this condition, I asked him, does this, does this have anything to do with what I'm eating? Should I change the way that I'm eating? Should I change the way I'm exercising? And he cocked his head to the side and he started shaking his head. He said, this has nothing to do with what you're eating. This mm. is something that just happened. And I'm sorry it happened to you. We're going to get you some medication to help you manage this pain. But I'm sorry, son. This is something you're just going to live with. Mm. And when he said that to me, it took me from... I came in for a solution. I was grateful to find out that, okay, and now I know that something was wrong, but now I'm being told as a child, really still in so many dimensions that my life is relegated to pain and suffering and there's nothing I can ever do about it. And what he implanted in me, and this is part of the conversation today, everybody's heard of the placebo effect. You right. know, I've been in this field for 19 years, research scientist, clinical practice as a nutritionist for 10 years. The, the placebo effect is so remarkable, but we never hear about it. In the very best clinical trials we have, it's, it's a placebo-controlled trial, right? Randomized placebo-controlled trial. Because the placebo, we have to account for it. 
because it's effective about 33% of the time on average. Somebody believing that a fake, it's a fake drug, treatment, surgery, they believe that it's going to lower their blood pressure and it does. They believe it's going to lower their blood sugar, manage their blood sugar and it does. They believe that they're taking chemotherapy medication and they proceed to have their hair fall out mm. and even dissolving of the tumor. And when I say these things, I do not say them loosely. I'm a scientist. I'm very, have a tendency very much towards logic, but I had to, I saw the data for myself and there's mountains of it. It's insane. So placebo is a positive injunction in this sense, but what I was exposed to is something called a nocebo effect. This is when you get a negative injunction from somebody who's in a position of authority in your mind. Mm-hmm. This is when you hear things like, this is incurable. You'll, you'll never walk again. You'll be on medication for the rest of your life. You got six weeks to live. Mm. These, these negative statements and then seeing the preceding fallout, because here's the, this is how it works. Every thought we, that we have has correlating chemistry that's released in our bodies. Right. All right. Your brain is the most powerful pharmacy in the universe. And I say that specifically because the chemicals are designed specifically for your receptor sites. It's designed for you. And it has massive impact what you believe, how it affects your physiology. And so I, ge- I was given this nocebo effect. And I went, from, I went in there for like a nuisance of a pain to chronic debilitating pain that I was in while living in Ferguson, Missouri, mattress on the floor, commuting back and forth in college, trying to just ma- do something nobody that I've ever met has done before. And I was just in an immense amount of pain. I was on so many medications couldn't sleep at night because the pain was so bad. It was an absolute night. I gained a lot of, I, I became very, I'll just put it gently. I became very puffy. I was very <laughs> thick. I got really thick, you know, through two seat. And so I gained like about 30, 40 pounds in, in, in those two years from the age of 20 to 22. Because not only did he tell me this was incurable, he told me that I needed to stay on bed rest. Just do as little as possible. And here's a big takeaway from today. The worst thing you could do is to do nothing. All mm. right. You could do, you know, of course, if there's an inflammatory condition, yes, you take a little bit of time off. But life is movement. Right. Life is movement. And so not only are my bones going to atrophy, now everything about me is beginning to atrophy, including my mind. And so, you know, to put the cherry on top of the story and you know, how, how I'm in this space, it took two years. Some people never get it. Some people get it much faster. And I hope folks today get this much faster than I did. Those two years, I was asking this question over and over. We call it a dominant question. Over and over again in my mind, that was controlling my perception of reality. And it's a very real thing. It's called something called instinctive elaboration. You know, your brain just does this. It's run on question. As our mutual friend, uh, Michael Beckwith, he just texted me, actually, he says that questions are the answer. Questions are the answer. And I had been asking myself, why me? Every day, it's on repeat. I might not even be aware of it. Like every one of us has a dominant question that we're always asking and helps us to filter out the data because we're taking in trillions of bits of data points. And so I was asking, why me? Why won't somebody help? And I'd seen four physicians uh, overall. And when you ask this kind of disempowering question, your brain, is seeking out in your internal and external environment things to affirm the negative thing you're asking. Why me? Why won't somebody help me? Because I'm not helpable. Mm. Because I'm not good enough. 
because I'm not worthy of being, being helped. My character is so terrible. Like all of these things to affirm the darkness that I was in. And finally, after that fourth physician told me he couldn't help me, it took that, that hitting rock bottom for finally I asked a different question and it changed my entire life. For the first time in those two years, I asked, how can I get better? Mm, how can how I get better? How can I, how can I, how can I get healthy? And it changed, literally here, and this is the end of the story, things that were already there the entire time, now I became aware of them. People in my life, studies, research, books. There was a friend of mine, I had known her for, I don't know, three, four years at that point, three years. Right. And, you know, I would see her from time to time, you know, we hang out. But she was a chiropractor and she took me to Wild Oats, which, you know, before Whole Foods bought them up. Right. I didn't know that existed. I lived in Ferguson. <laughs> All I saw was like liquor stores and like, you know, fried chicken and McDonald's. And, but now I'm in this place where it's just like, it's so lively. And there's like, they're, they're making juice. Like, why is there grass inside this building? Like, so weird. <laughs> but there were books there and studies because I was very analytical. Like, I'm, so I was able to see, oh, wait, there's a randomized controlled trial finding that this nutrient is needed for bone density. Nobody ever told me this. I needed omega-3s and silica and all this other stuff. I just thought it was calcium. So I'm like guzzling milk like I'm getting paid uh, for it and just getting more and more dis detached from health. And so, okay, th this is the double cherry on top. End of the story, truly. <laughs> when I, after this, after this moment of revelation, Within six weeks, this pain that I've been experiencing every day of my life, gone. Koya, I was terrified. I was so freaking scared because I had experienced it every, every day. And now suddenly it's gone. I was just worried every step that I take that it's going to come back. Right. And I started to flood my body, my cells with all of the raw materials that make my bones, that make the disc in between the vertebrae of my spine. And I, I didn't just lose weight. It wasn't somebody that lost weight. I looked like I became radically healthy. Mm. And walking around my college campus, fellow students came up to me. My professors were like, what did you do? They became my first client. And I started working with them. And that really kind of launched my career. By the way, nine months later, I got a scan done on my spine, completely reversed the, de the degeneration. My two herniated discs that were causing all the pain had retracted. And I shifted all my coursework over to biology and kinesiology and nutritional science and just found a way to serve, you know, and help other people that have been told that same story that there's nothing you can do about this. This is your lot in life, but we are so much more powerful. We are so much more powerful. Thank you for that beautiful story. I love that the question is the answer. And when you ask the right questions, the answers are right there. That is just so amazingly beautiful. And I'm so happy that you asked that question, how can I get better? Because your vision of health now, you're helping so many people thrive. And you know, and I love what you said about being nurtured by your grandmother, because I, I have a question for you. If your grandmother could see you now, what, what do you think she would feel? I just got the chills. No, she would, man. Ah, you know, I can't, I can't say that she would be surprised, but I know she would be very, very proud of me and very honored that, you know, I, I 
tapped into my potential, you know, and yeah, I just wish I could, I wish I could talk to her, you know, I wish I could. I have so many questions, you know, and that's another part of the reason I'm in this, like at this level, I lost her, you know, because she literally died from an overdose of prescription drugs, you know? So when people talk about these things, I'm from that. I'm literally from it. You know, I come from the place where, you know, we don't have access, but all I needed was a little bit of exposure. And this is what I'm striving to do for other people. Just give them a little bit of exposure and let them know what's possible. And, you know, I know that she would definitely, man, I just, of course, like the first thing, as soon as you said it, when I got chills, just like, I just wish I would have known then what I know now, you Mm. know, and I just would have just loved on her so much and, and taking care of her. Uh, so for those listening, you know, if you can do that for the people that you have, that you can still put your hands on, it's one of the most important things that you could do. And also within that too, in having a clinical practice so long, sometimes our loved ones are the hardest ones to teach. All right. There's right. a statement that, you, <laughs> there's a statement that you can't be a prophet in your own land. And that man, that, that, that comes up as true. But what I found is that it's there's this proximity, right? Because they think they know. Like my grandmother changed my diaper, you know. It's like, oh, Sean. But it's also the number one thing to do, and I've seen this with my family members. You know, again, like I've got very close family members who were in the drug game for many years, who you know, battling with addiction. You know, I've I've lost family members to murder, the whole gamut. But seeing people close to me who were in that situation and now like they're eating much healthier. They're going to the gym. You know, one, the person I'm thinking about right now is very, very close to me growing up. Like now he shifted over. Not only did he stop the, you know, the, the, the game that he was in, now he's coaching kids. And like when nobody else is there and he just took his, his little team to the Super Bowl of their, of their state, these young kids. So, you know, I know the number one thing is what I'm trying to articulate is to be a model, be the example, mm. you know, be it. That is the most powerful thing. You might not see it right off the bat happen, but as you are it, it is infectious. You cannot help but it touch them. And so be it number one. Number two, bring in, bring in outside influences and outside voices. Absolutely. All, all of this is about psychology, you know, yeah. so finding a way in and it might be through, hey, you know, I just. Uh, listen to this incredible podcast with Koya and this this guy who's like a nutritionist. I don't know. What do you think? Like, check it out, right? right. So you just play like you're dumb. Like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> just gotta slide it in there, or slide you know, you, it in there. That's it, you know. Or you hand them hand them a book and just be like, you know, I just heard about this book. What do you what do you think? Like, check out this page. Like, what do you think about this study? This is crazy, right? When they're they're maybe dealing with insulin resistance and diabetes. And then they can see very in a way that makes sense. This is what I really strive to do with Eat Smarter. And I don't know if I told you this, it became, when it came out December 29th, it became the number one new release book of all books in the United States. Wow. I did not know that stat. Congratulations. Thank you. Unbelievable. Right. So this is nonfiction and fiction. And over for the entire week, it became, it was in the top 10 of all nonfiction along with Barack Obama's book, Matthew McConaughey. This is a book about health right. and food. And for that to become, to do what it did, it's not just the quality of the book. It's the, it's, the, it's the energy right now that's needed. 
right. by our by our world family. There's a demand for it. It can't be a problem without a solution, right? right? And so, you know, this coming out at this time, it's not an accident. I didn't know the world would be like this at this time when I started writing it, but there's so many things that I wrote in this book that are relevant right now and transformative right now that, you know, I just truly, this is why I like talking with you. I know it's not an accident. It's like, not an accident. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to dive into those questions a little bit. But before, I, I know you say you had a, qu- a couple of questions you would ask your grandmother. And I want to know, what, what are those questions? What are some of those questions you would ask? Wow. Okay. The, the first one that I would want to ask her, uh, man, this is, this is tough, Koya. You're trying to, trying <laughs> oh, to get me. you thought you were going to do a regular podcast right. show? I was gonna ask you all those typical questions. I'm feeling a little lump, feeling a little. Oh, breathe through right. it. <laughs> you know, so what I would want to know is just there's details. You know, like again, we're coming from where I come from. My mother had me when she was a teen. She's 18, and if you see my birth certificate, my birth certificate is right on the other side of the wall on my bookshelf. Um, there's no father there on my birth certificate. And it's not like immaculate conception, right? But hmm. I just never met the guy. You know, I have no idea who that person is. And there were a series of events that landed me in my grandmother's arm, right? So I ended up living with my grandmother from, very, and these are my most, this is when I kind of came online, right? There's this kind of like we have infant amnesia, like, but everything still gets recorded. But from kindergarten, to the second grade, very formative, like very developmental. It made such a massive impact on who I am in my psyche because I was in an environment with my grandmother who was very safe, right? It's a very, it's kind of almost, almost suburban, you know, it was a, just the school, the elementary school was just literally a block away from our house. We had routines. We had, uh, you know, just a level of certainty. You can just wake up and know what's going to happen in life, uh, which people take for granted. And also things were just so many magical moments. Like she really made a big deal out of everything. I think she was so, it was her chance to do it right, even having me. She did have, you know, my mother, her sister, and her brother. But now, like some for some folks, when they become a grandparent, it's like their chance, like they're, they're online now. They know what it's about. You get a second chance almost. Yeah. And so I was the first grandchild out of, you know, I think there was like 15 of us. And so even there was murmurings, even you know, for years, Sean's your favorite. Sean's. A- yeah. So no, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I actually, it's, you know, part of it was, I lived there. I lived with her and I was her, I was her son. And what happened prior to me moving there, I want to know the details on how the decision was made because the most recent event that happened prior to me moving was, you know, again, being in a very, with my mother, like, man, I mean, just this dangerous environment. Like I said, like, you know, I might wake up in the middle of the night and there's people fighting in my house, physically fighting. There are gunshots, you know, like just all of these things that start to become integrated into your psyche. But she wanted, and this isn't a matter of like not loving. Loving is, is expressed differently. And sometimes it can be mutated in a way that doesn't look very pretty. But she wanted me to be tough and capable to survive in this environment. So I had the type of mother that's just like, don't come, don't come in this house crying. Somebody did something to you. You better get out there and fight. Mm. And so much so that, you know, when I was four years old, 
and this was right before I went to move with my grandmother. Uh, I was in preschool, and I remember, like, I had a members-only jacket. It was, you know, a little kid. It's probably a knockoff. Uh, but shout out to people who know from the 80s, the members-only jacket. But so I was, you know, in, I was in preschool, and I played with the next-door neighbor at the next four-family flat by us. His name was Alfonso. And Alfonso was about six years old. You know, I was four years old. And we kept getting into little scuffles, like kids can tend to do, you know, especially little boys. And I don't know what, why the magnitude came to this, but my mother and two of his family members, it might have been his mother, I don't remember who, who the other person was, but they decided to make us fight each other. And they sat on the stoop of this four family flat. My mother was on one side, they were sitting on the other side. And I remember, like, it's one of my very first deepest memories. I just remember not, I'm just like, why? I don't want to do this. Why are you making me do this? And, you know, they kind of pushed us together to start fighting. And, you know, he's much bigger than me. I was a baby. I was four years old. And he immediately I, I pushed me into the corner of a brick wall. And my head was just busted wide open. I have this huge scar on the back of my head till this day. And just blood everywhere. And I was rushed into the hospital. I remember the lights going over, you know, as the, you know, the stretcher was going by. But it wasn't the fact that I was physically hurt. I was, I was mad because my mother taught me to win, you know. So I was like, I'm going to get him back. I'm going to get him back. And I just kept saying it over and over again. And sure enough, you know, I got stitched up a couple of days later. He was out outside playing and, you know, I took something and, you know, I hurt him. And I'm not, of course, I'm not proud of that. But I felt so good about myself then that I had retaliated. And that created this cycle of, again, solving my problems with violence, what I was taught there. Shortly thereafter, I ended up with my grandmother. So what I would want to know is like, how did I, how did I get to you? Like, mm. what did she, because I really feel like she stepped in like, uh-uh, you're not, this is not happening with my grandbaby. Hey. Thank you so much for sharing. I know it. It's tough. Those stories, they're they're real. Oh man, you got me. <laughs> they're real. Thank you so much. I mean, if you want to yeah. continue, can we? Uh, I'm gonna have the cry voice. You know, again, I just it's it's very li alive for me. Like her picture is right there. Mm -hmm. It's the only picture here on my shelf. Mm -hmm. It's so the, reason, the reason I'm feeling this way is, you know, she gave me this is imprint of unconditional love. You know, powerful. It's powerful. And now look at you. Look at you now. Still unconditionally loving. That has to be the best gift you can ever give anyone, ever. It's unconditional love. And now you give it to yourself. You give it to your beautiful family. You give it to the world. So I'm just going to say, thank you, Grandmama. Thank you. <laughs> Look at this yeah. blessing. Thank you. Thank you. I received that. I received that for sure. And this is what, again, what I want for everybody is that just have access to have an experience of what love looks like, have an experience of what health looks like, mm -hmm. you know, because we're so, we're all infinitely intelligent, genius capacity. 
It's just that many of us are in circumstances where we don't understand. We are, yes, we are absolutely product of our environment, but we're also creators of our environment. Once we become aware of it, there's nothing that can, that can stop us. And what's so interesting about your story and about what we're about to talk about is that it's almost like the, the fighting and, and this, this energy of like, I have to win is almost like beating up on yourself. And it's almost like your grandmother was the love. And a lot of times that's what we do unconsciously with food, with negative environments we put ourselves in with toxic relationships. It's literally beating us up and we do need support. We do need each other. We do need things like podcasts and books that can wake us up to like, how about you love yourself? Because it's only when you love yourself, you can be in alignment with your purpose, the spiritual guidance. And so everyone needs that, that strength of support that you got from your grandmother. And I, I truly believe that that spirit is within all of us. Sometimes it's functioning at a higher vibration. Sometimes, you know, it, someone could be functioning at a lower vibration. But when you have someone that steps in, and raises your vibration, which is what it sounds like your grandmother did, it sounds like it really saved your life. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. That's, that's a fact. You know? So it's one of those, like, we don't know is this kind of destined, but it definitely, without that, I wouldn't be here. You know, I wouldn't be here with everybody today. You know, and another big thing that I picked up in that environment was you know, my grandfather, my grandmother, I'm sure... They're married. I'm sure they had some some disagreements, but I never I only saw love between them. And it created a template. Like again, I knew what it looked like. Whereas like I never met my father. You know, I didn't even I I don't know anybody else with a successful relationship in my environment besides those two. But I lived there. I was immersed in it. And so of course it's gonna create a template for me to be expressed potentially. Like the seed is there, you know, and so like my wife is my, I'm obsessed with her. She's my very best friend Aww. in the universe, you know. And my grandmother, she couldn't live without my grandfather. Like, literally. You know, she passed away so shortly after him. And, you know, I lost him. Same thing. Conventional approaches. All these open heart surgeries. All these drugs. And not addressing what the underlying root cause of the heart attacks and the heart disease is. You know, so, yeah, that's why I do the work I'm doing right now. And I love that. I love that you're doing the work that you're doing. I love that you're digging deep in. And now I'm ready to get into that now that people know like why this means so much to you. I think it's so important to understand people's why and, and why it means so much and why you're so passionate because a lot of people might look like at someone like yourself. I'm like, oh yeah, they got it easy. They got this going on, they got that going on. And they really don't know what you've had to overcome to have the type of passion, consistency, drive to get up and do it every day when it's not always easy with a, a family and with the demands and with the social media and things like that. So I think it's very important to know that it takes a strong, strong why and takes a strong commitment to your purpose to have the number one book in the world that, that comes from all that you've overcome. And so thank you so much for being vulnerable with us and, and sharing your story. I know it wasn't easy, but I think it's important because some people just look at the glitz and the glam and the book and the titles 
but we and then they they try to duplicate it and they're like why isn't it working for me it's like because it was a lot of grit under there they didn't quite get yeah. <laughs> that really puts the passion behind it yeah that's pop that's so powerful what you just said and this should be an affirmation for everybody that for, in the age of the internet a lot of people are worried about putting their stuff out there you know they're worried about people stealing their content or their approach or whatever it is nobody can replicate you no that's one can steal your story no one has your story that's it and there's a certain texture there's a certain energy to my voice there's a certain that's it's from my experiences it's a it's a life that's there in the core so there's a certain tenor there's a certain texture for all of us when we speak we know what's real when we're listening to another person mm. it's their story it's their essence is embodied in the words in the presence in the video in the in the audio recording whatever it is in the art that you're making so be unafraid to share and to express yourself and to give freely because truly nobody can copy can copy you nobody can emulate you you know we might take ideas because really we're all a patchwork quilt of all of our experiences and ideas but the way that you express them you might hit a note that no one else can that can save somebody's life or change somebody's life for the better you know so don't hold back on that giving that's right and you've done it you've changed so many lives already can you just talk about one of the cuz you've changed so many lives can you talk about one of your favorite transformational stories that is so hard oh why are you asking all these hard questions oh <laughs> uh, I just had like a matrix thing in my mind and just thinking about all the people that I work with over the years. That is really, really tough. Um, you know what? I'll share, I'll share one story, uh, one person um, that was kind of like in the, in the beginning of my clinical practice. Like when I made the shift from, because when I first made this physical recovery myself and transformation, my lowest hanging fruit was the gym you know, being an athlete. So I became a strength and conditioning coach at the university that I worked at. And so, and I was, everything was going really well. I was, felt great. I was helping people. And, but I was also studying nutrition. I kept finding these inconsistencies with what was being taught in school and what the data showed when you actually go and read, read the data. Um, but ultimately it was my mother-in-law who really just kind of cracked my whole reality open. And I think a big part of transformation and, and really becoming, reaching more of your potential is you have to let the old belief and the old self, you have to let that, that go. And it's really hard because crazy, we're comfortable, even though we, we might not even like ourselves, but we're comfortable with ourselves. So, be, and also, let me just be real with you, being, being a guy, we tend to be a little little extra like I know you know I, I, I know especially when you're younger too you know it's kind of like this veil over it like you really got stuff figured out and so my mother-in-law first of all at this point she's been teaching meditation for 40 years you know she's from Kenya and doing that coming where she she wasn't even supposed to leave Kenya you know in her community their tribe you know like basically you you have babies and you chill that's it like, <laughs> She was like, no, I'm not having this. She went to study in the UK, went to, you know, she's an occupational therapist. But anyway, so I got her 
along with my wife, which I had no idea that she would have such an impact on me. And even though I had reversed this degenerative bone and spinal condition, just feeling so healthy and robust, I was still getting like seasonal allergies. I was still having like uh, hay fever. And, you know, I, when I was a kid, like I had really bad asthma and it would like flare up. And I remember one day, I actually, my wife, but she was my girlfriend at the time, she took me to the hospital because of hay fever. I couldn't breathe. And got him to get in prescription. I went to over, we stopped by their house and she just, she said something to me that straight up changed my life. And this is again, sometimes you can't be a prophet in your own land, right? Mm -hmm. She said something to me in a way that cut through all of my perceptions. When I told her, you know, she was like, oh, so, um, you know, Jerry, she calls my daughter. I mean, she calls her daughter Jerry, which is her middle name. Uh, which is her, you know, Kenyan name, but her first name is Anne. I, she called, she told me her name was Anne. Anyway, she said, uh, Jerry tells me that you've been having, you're sick. You've been having allergies and hay fever. I was like, yeah, you know, it's this time of year. It's the weather. She said, oh, okay. So is the problem out there? Is the problem out here or is the problem in you? Ooh, she had I was, oh, <laughs> I got, like it's, it literally stopped my soul in its place because I've been blaming it's the weather. Right. And I shouldn't be allergic to the world. How am I allergic to the world? And so I not to say that there's not toxicity in the world. Yes, but our bodies are so resilient. And really it was, there was a level of uh, discord in my body. And the thing that I've still been doing now is drinking organic milk, you know, like every day. That was like my thing. But for me and my body template at that point, it was creating this allergic reaction, this kind of histamine reaction. And I do talk about it a little bit because again, for everybody is going to be varying degrees of things and even a digestibility of certain things. But for me, when I pulled that out because I came across a piece of data because of her that was affirming how higher rates of allergies and asthma specifically in children, real peer-reviewed evidence. So I pulled it out, never had an allergy, any asthma symptoms. Like, I can't even believe that was my life back right. then. You know? And so I'm sharing that to share what happened thereafter because now I'm really understanding. I got well, but I was just kind of just flooding my body with nutrients, right? Things that I just knew I didn't have these raw materials. Now I understand, hold up, food can actually cause disease and reverse disease. Like, wait a minute. And the root of this, what I'm saying right now is that every single cell of our bodies is made from food. It is that important. And yet in our system of medicine, you know, I went to a traditional university. We're taught, my colleagues, he might be a cardiologist and he's in school for 12 years. And he doesn't know what the heart is made of. Do you understand this fundamental flaw? The heart is made from food. The blood running through the veins and the arteries is made from food. The arteries and veins themselves, it's made from food. And yet you have no education on what it's made of. We're treating the symptoms of the problem. And so there was a woman I was working with in the gym. Uh, her name was Kathy. And shout out, you know, still like she still uh, sends me messages from time to time. And she's, you know, she's a month. She, I think she was about 40 years old. She had two kids and we, she had worked with me a year before and just got in incredible shape. 
just changing some things with her nutrition and of course working with me in the gym. But now she, she, she called me and she was like, Sean, um, I want to, you know, I've kind of like backslid a little bit, but I just want to come get a refresher. just want to be around you and get, you know, just, just to tone up a little bit. And she said that, and I'm, I don't know if people could see me, but I'm literally holding up my <laughs> fake hand phone to my face, just reliving the situation. But she said, but in six weeks though, I'm going to have to take some time off again because I'm going to have uh, fibroid tumors removed, possibly have a hysterectomy. Mm. And when she told me that, immediately I'm thinking, okay, what's, first of all, what's the point of trying to get in shape right now if you're going to be out for two months? And then I said, you know what, Kathy, I think that what if we try something to maybe help the issue that you're dealing with? And at this point, my wife, like we had done these different 21 day fast and all these different things. And my wife, well, she's my girlfriend at the time. She had a vast amount of precancerous cells, uh, getting her, you know, general checkup, pap smear done. And just hearing cancer is, can be devastating. She was just in college. And my mother-in-law again intervened, got her onto a protocol. She went back and got checked out and they couldn't find any, couldn't find mm. any. Cancer cells, it was cervical. And again, like I have no bearing on that this is even possible. I'm like, wait, I thought cancer just <laughs> happens, you know? Right. And so she had just gone, literally might have been two days earlier that she had completed the process. So I told Kathy about it and I couldn't ethically have her do something I hadn't done. So I did it alone. And we were just bringing in all these little anti-cancer modalities that had data behind them and bottom uh, anti-tumor, I'm sorry, she had the fibroids. And her fibroid, man, it was the size of a, the size of a good, like big orange or grape. Mm. And it was causing a lot of excessive bleeding, a lot of pain and discomfort. And just like, she just didn't feel right. And I remember that it was 18 days after starting the program. And she was in the gym. We were still working together. She was laying on her floor, just doing some, you know, different core exercises. And I stepped away to go over to the counter where my desk was. And I heard her start kind of yelling. She was like, oh my God, oh my God. And I'm just like, what's wrong with you, Kathy? What's going on? She was like, she was feeling her stomach. She was like, I can't find them. I can't find them. And I'm just, I'm still trying to register what she's talking about. She couldn't feel the fibroid. Mm -hmm. and she was scared to touch herself since, you know, again, many, many weeks earlier. And they had gone from the size of a large orange to the size of, maybe a, a great wow. at that point. And again, like I'm a very logical analytical person, but to see that happen firsthand, it, it changed me at another level because it wasn't just a random thing that happened with me and my allergies or my wife and these cancerous cells. Now I'm seeing this with Kathy and her fibroids. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so that's, that was very early on before I really started my work as a clinician and seeing this stuff and becoming a real uh, research scientist. But yeah, that's one of the stories. And you got to stop asking these questions. I love it. No, that is so beautiful. Because so Powerful. many people out there are out there eating whatever and taking the medicine and they don't realize the power of fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds and herbs and all these things and what they can do to help give your body the tools that it needs to, to heal and thrive. And so, and the story is important because Everyone has that 
oh, it's, it's, I, this is just what I have to get done. I just have to yeah. take it out. It's just, it's normal because now we're normalizing um, disease. We're normalizing conditions because so many people have them. But the unfortunate thing or fortunate with your book, we are now normalizing the solutions <laughs> to the yes. things because the solutions previously of just cut it off or cut it out. It actually just, it's insane to even think that that would be the first solution versus let's try to do something differently with your lifestyle. It, it just blows my mind that um, that's not our first, our first step, our first protocol. It's your time to step into your full power and potential. Are you tired of playing small and ready to make a big difference in the world? If your answer is yes, then the Wellness Entrepreneur Mastermind is for you. This mastermind will give you all the tools you need to turn your passion into purpose and live from a space of abundance as you let go of your limiting beliefs and negative self-talk. We coach you to thrive one week at a time, one goal at a time. We teach you what's working right now and what's not so you can position yourself as a community leader and create real change in the world. If you're ready to level up and stand in your power, then go to koyaweb.com forward slash mastermind to join our next group of wellness entrepreneurs. Space is limited and your time is now. So don't delay. Make a difference today. So can you share a little bit about your first protocol when you know someone is going? Because, I mean, we know when it comes to weight loss, you know, I feel like that is something that is going to happen when you get healthier. So what is your first protocol to help someone start to get healthier, to really understand that it's going to take a change in lifestyle, which is what I heard you say with yourself mm -hmm. and your wife and your client. So what is kind of that, that first thing that you're recommending everyone listening here um, just to be mindful of if they want to take their health to the next. Yeah, it's such a great question. And you just said it, weight loss is a side effect, right, of certain principle. But for me, and this should be, again, Captain Obvious, but our system currently doesn't do that, but we're really making a shift towards this. Remove the cause. Remove the cause of the high blood pressure, the hypertension. Remove the cause of the abnormal blood sugar, remove the cause of the fibroid, remove the cause of the cancer. And we seem in our, again, we're encouraged to be victims and to mm. think that again, like my physician, he told me I had an incurable spot. It was incurable. And he told me that this is something that just happens. He said those exact words. And this is the belief, unfortunately. Right. And so it's asking the question, how are these things actually Created? How do they manifest? Well, first of all, we have a massive array of what we call these categories, quote, carcinogen. Mm -hmm. And so that exposure to those things damages our process of cell replication, right? And so, for example, we'll just, will you, since diabetes is such a big issue today, we have 135 million Americans are diabetic or pre-diabetic right now, right, right. now. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable. And 95, when I say diabetic, specifically type 2 diabetic, we're talking about over 95% of the cases, just to be clear on that. So they're not born with diabetes, something happens. Right. So the thing is, it's just like, what is the thing that happened that made this diabetic, because a, a diagnosis of diabetes is just a categorization 
a, a categorizing of symptoms. That's all it is. And then you get this label, you're diabetic, this becomes your lot in life, right? And there's a statement that if you label, if you label me, you negate me, right? Mm. If you label me, you negate me. And we do this to ourselves. We take that on as our identity, right? In my clinical practice, because what I would do, you know, just say somebody's coming in, they're on metformin, they've got blood sugars like 300, 400. Like, it's just like, how are you even surviving, you know? And they're close to potentially having major, major issues. Of course, some folks are coming in, they're on insulin. And the, the craziest part was, you know, and this is so weird to say this, coming from where I'm from, I had an office in like the fancy part of St. Louis, like the business district. And I got like, you know, physicians are sending me their patients. Physicians are coming in and working with me themselves. Um, but so what, what we would do is, you know, somebody comes in and I would make sure I have plenty of time with them. I would generally open up 60 to even 90 minutes to actually find out where this issue is coming from. Mm. You know, it's not some in and out thing and educate them on what's happening in their body because no one did it. No one did it. And the, the root of the word, the Latin root of the word doctor or physician, the, the Latin root of the word doctor means teacher, right? And our system has forgotten that. Mm. And unfortunately, and these are some wonderful people. Many of my best friends are physicians, but it really has encouraged and created an umbrella over the system to where it's these in and out appointments. Like there's so much red tape and with insurance and all these things that it's taken away real connection and care, right? Mm. And so what I would do is I would literally, if they got diabetes, I would, I've got, you know, dry erase board and I would leave up a picture of like a, a pancreas and, you know, <laughs> the liver, things like that. But then I would walk them through the process of like how insulin operates in the body. You know, here's the, here's your pancreas. These are the beta cells right here. And they're producing insulin. And I would take them through and reverse engineer the disease basically. Right. And I would show them how this is created and how to, how to reverse it, how to go backwards, right? How to take this from disease manifestation to health. And I would see every day, Koya, every single day, I would see people's eyes just light up as they're sitting there in the chair, learning about what's happening in their body. And, and they become so empowered. We had about an 80% success rate with folks being able to normalize their blood sugar without medication, right? This, it was easy. It was actually easy. And by the way, that little percentage, the 20% would really bother me a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's, that is the part, that was the part that created, because I, I realized a lot of healthcare practitioners also feel the same way. And somebody even posted this yesterday that, you know, people just won't listen. You know, they're not, they're not, they don't want to change. That's not the case. We want change. We just don't want to change that much. Right. So that's number one. And number two, that ability to to change. And, you know, when somebody's experiencing this 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 condition, the education piece is it's a, OK. I want to make sure that I say this correctly. It's really about relationship and a, and a wanting to break through. Right. To help them to make that breakthrough. If we spend time, we'll figure it out because most times people will tell you the cause and cure of what the issue is. But my point is this, I started asking people about their lives. It took five years in my clinical practice before I did this. I'm so grateful that I did. Mm. And I asked them once those 20%, but then I started asking everybody in their intake form and just conversation. But that 20% who wasn't getting results, 
like we got them on the best like personalized nutrition plan. We're looking at their ancestry, their ancestry. They got their exercise stuff. I had we had it dialed in. So then immediately you think they're just lying to me, right? They're not. They're not following this protocol. They're out there like eating honey buns or whatever. <laughs> Even though the dot, the nutritional protocol generally, I made it really fun. We made we made it fun. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't get the results everybody else was getting because I didn't ask them about their sleep. I didn't ask them about their stress. Mm. And once I started asking people about their sleep, it, it, I couldn't believe it. I literally was in shock that they were even sitting. And so saying that people want change, but they don't want to change that much, I went into the data and I found clinically proven strategies people can implement. They don't have to turn their life upside down to improve their sleep quality. That's when we went from 80% to 90%. That's when somebody's been battling with their weight for 20 years. The weight finally comes off and stays off. Right. I had no idea that our sleep matters so much. And that was the first book, Sleep Smarter. It became an international bestseller. Over on the shelf with my grandmother's picture, got all these <laughs> different translations. And each of these translations, this is from a different publisher in every country, right? Wow. Who's reaching out, like, we got to have this book in our bookstores. It's in libraries in Japan. Like, it's crazy. And it created this movement of sleep wellness. This was the first international bestseller. I'm, again, I'm saying this very purposefully. This is the power of an idea. Mm-hmm. On paper, I should not have been able to create something like that. But it was missing from the conversation. It was missing from our health. Uh, this this p- particular piece of a pillar, really. That's the word. It's a pillar of our health mm-hmm. that was not getting attention. And since then, a lot of other books have come out. And, you know, their sleep wellness coaches has created a, a, revol- a revolution. And it was, this was there at the onset of that. So I'm very grateful. But. You know, all of these things, when we're working with people, it's not just about one thing. Food is powerful. For me, food was my bridge. Right. There's many paths to the goal, but also our relationships, mm-hmm. our, our stress management, our sleep quality, our movement practices, our connection to something, our purpose, all of these things and what we do now. And as a scientist, we find data to affirm things that we already know. We already know these things matter. We just have data on it now to mansplain it to, you know, people like myself who like, I need to see it to believe. I love that because it just points, it it takes a lifestyle. It takes a lifestyle. And I love that you unpack the sleep because the sleep time is when we rest and recover and regenerate. So even if you're putting all the right things in there, you're moving, if you don't have that time where your body can regenerate and recover and take everything you've given it to rebuild yourself healthier, then you're missing that, you're missing that piece. And I, and I love that you call that out um, in addition to eating, because again, if you're doing all of it and you're missing the sleep, or if you're doing most of it, but you don't feel like you have purpose, or if you have too much stress, and you're doing all the things, but you still have those stress hormones producing cortisol and it's working in your body in a different way, then, you know, it's, it's going to counteract those good things that you're doing. So can you give us a little kind of, you know, with Eat Smarter, I know you really go into the food and some of the things that you talk about is just like, you know, which nutrients uh, really can, specific nutrients that you believe in that you have seen change, you know, not only your life and your family's life, but also the life of your clients. We want to kind of 
dig down in there and get some specific recommendations. My my community loves to take notes and, and yeah. loves to like go away from a podcast with some takeaways. So can you give us some of those things that you recommend for um, everyone listening that are like, okay, you know, I'm going to get my sleep. How much sleep should they be getting? What should they be eating? How can they really take their health to the next level? Perfect. Perfect. So I'm going to share with you guys one important tenet, and then I'll give some specifics because this tenet controls everything. From our psychology here in the United States and really much of the Western world has been inundated with this idea that is, is not exactly accurate. So in my nutritional science class, and I paid, I paid for this education or miseducation. The very first day I was taught that calories are the king. I was taught that calorie, if you can control calories, you can control your body composition. If mm. you can manage calories, you can manage your health. This was the most important. It was the tip of the spears, the top thing to manage for us to achieve our goals and the goals of the people that we will work. All right. Now, I want to make this clear. My physician that told me my disease was incurable, the spinal disease that I was diagnosed with, he was obese. Mm. My nutritional science professor was right there on the borderline of obesity. My family, of course, like I mentioned, I became very overweight myself, but just say I've got 30 close family members that I grew up with, 28 of them are obese. This is where I come from, this again. But it's just in my environment and even the people teaching it, they're a victim to what they're teaching. It's not like my nutritional, he was, a, he was incredibly smart. But what he was doing, he was in, inundated with this idea that was fundamentally flawed. So he was doing what he was teaching. It just wasn't working. And so he punishes himself. And he just tries to do it harder, right? I was, of course, this is the time during the food pyramid. So it's seven to 11 servings of whole grains. It doesn't matter the quality. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter your, your genetics and how I might be interacting with you. He just, I just need more brown stuff. I just need more whole grain, more whole grain. And it wasn't working. So I'm saying that to say we today, and this is one of the most important takeaways and something you're going to hear, I promise you for many years to come that I'm impressing upon culture is this term called epicaloric control. Epicaloric mm. control. You probably heard of epigenetics, mm -hmm. right? One of my friends, Dr. Bruce Lipton, being a pioneer in that field. Uh, but that's above genetic control. Things controlling your genetic expression. There are seven clinically proven factors that I talk about in Eat Smarter that control what calories do in your body. There are seven of these. So, so many people are suffering and they're in this caloric deficit and they're trying so hard and they're not, the weight's not coming off or they get, quote, stuck and they, they battle themselves and they keep trying to reduce more calories and it's not working. It's because there are certain things controlling what calories do. So, I'm going to give you a couple of them. There's seven, but, you know, just for time. I'm going to give you some of the most important. Number one, we've, many of us have heard this statement, but we're going to talk about why and how it works. Many of us have heard that it's not just the calories, it's the quality of the calorie. Right? Mm -hmm. It's the quality of the calorie. No, this is, this is real. Listen to this. So I mapped this out in Eat Smarter and kind of break the study down a little bit. And this was published in the journal Food and Nutrition Research. And they had test subjects. They wanted to see what would happen with caloric expenditure when people eat a meal of processed foods versus a meal of whole food. All right? A meal of processed foods versus a meal of whole food. So for the whole food meal, they gave them a whole food sandwich. All right? Again, it's not, not saying this is necessarily the best, but it was 
whole grain bread and cheddar cheese for their sake. All right. Then they gave the other test subjects a processed food sample, which was white bread and cheese product. The cheese product, if you're like, what, what the hell is cheese product? <laughs> That's what Kraft is. Kraft singles, they can't legally call it cheese in the United States because there's not enough cheese in the cheese. All right, so, yeah, that's a whole other story, though. Anyway, so this is the most important part. These two sandwiches are the exact same amount of calories. Exact same amount of calories. Same amount of fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. But after they compiled all the data, the people who ate the processed food sandwich had a 50% reduction in calorie burn after eating that meat. 50%. Mm. It's so far removed from anything in nature that it created effectively these hormonal clogs that made their system more apt and stingy in hanging on to those calories they consume. It created disruption and damage in their metabolism. So when I say this is not a joke, eating foods that are removed from nature, you can eat that and be in a caloric deficit and you can lose weight. This is a reason many people don't and this is a reason many people do and then they gain the weight back because they're creating true disruption to their metabolism. So the type of food is one of the caloric, uh, epicaloric controllers. All right, I'll, I'll share one more real quick. The lower processed food. Y'all got that? Taking notes. Less processed food. The, less, less, <laughs> the least amount of processed food you have in your diet, the better. Got it. Thank you. And that's the thing too. I'm not saying don't. Don't eat a cookie. No, we just need to make it the exception and not the rule because of what it does to, and here's the key, and this is for the next one, your unique metabolism. All right, you have a unique metabolic fingerprint. And like a fingerprint, there's no two ever in the history of humanity that's the same. Your metabolism, there's never been anybody like you in the history of humanity or ever will be in the future that has a metabolism exactly like yours. But the most important part is, your metabolism next week, the person you'll be then doesn't have a metabolism like you do now. It is constantly changing and in flux. And we have to understand the tools so we can adapt our nutrition as we go through life because it's going to change. And so many of us get stuck in these boxes of like, this is the thing that I'm doing. It worked for me back in the day. I just need to get on this again. And again, we get into this attitude of like, I'll just do it harder, right? I just need more of this, more of that. When in reality, we have to have grace and, 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 and inner intelligence and self-assessment to add an ebb and flow with the nutrition we need. So that's what I'm really giving in Eat Smarter. There's no dogmatic principles. It's all inclusive. You know? So whatever diet framework you're subscribed to, you will, you will 1,000% be fulfilled and rewarded in this education because of this piece. All right? One of the biggest things with our with our uh, metabolic makeup and our unique metabolic fingerprint, controlling what calories do is our microbiome, right? Everybody's heard it. Microbiome, microbiome, right? <laughs> Friendly bacteria. I've been doing this again for a long time. I've had patients, you know, I've put everybody on probiotics. I was really missing. And here's why. So a study published in the journal Cell, they discovered a certain bacteria in mice that block their intestines from absorbing as much food from their, uh, absorbing as many calories from the food they were eating. It blocked their intestines from absorbing calories. What do we do here in, in our conventional system? We try and pill, let's make a pill with that and have people take the pills to block their intestines from absorbing calories from the food. 
not understanding your body doesn't work in a vacuum, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to affect every, these quote side effects, they're a direct effect. Everything's connected. So we might be blocking your gut bacteria from producing B12. We might block your gut bacteria from producing short chain fatty acids to protect your gut lining and prevent autoimmune diseases. Like you can't just do things like that. We have to look at the whole system. And so now how does this translate to humans? Well, researchers at the Wiseman Institute, we know, and in my clinical practice, that there is a specific microbiome makeup that's associated very, very strongly with obesity. And so I could have somebody send out for a stool sample and I'll never see them, never saw them before, and I can get their report back and I can read the report and know with extreme accuracy whether or not they're obese, just based on their microbiome makeup, right? So knowing this, they found subjects with a microbiome profile related to insulin resistance, uh, obesity, and body fat gain. And then they implanted these fecal matters from these folks into lean mice. And then they took another group of test subjects with a profile of microbes associated with, quote, leanness and implanted that into lean mice. Those mice stayed lean. The mice who received the fecal transplant from the people with the microbiome cascade associated with the obesity, even though the mice were eating the same food, the mice became insulin resistant. The mice gained weight and gained body fat simply by changing the microbes. And last point here with humans, and this is coming from St. Louis since I'm you know, from St. Louis, so the study was really <laughs> awesome. They had this massive database of identical twins, right? identical twins. You can't get more identical. It's called identical twins. And with the prerequisite, they have to find a twin who has a microbiome associated with obesity mm. versus their, their sibling. And sure enough, they compiled the data tracking over many years, even though they're eating the same diet from the same environment, the twin with the microbiome associated with insulin resistance and obesity had a far greater tendency towards becoming overweight or obese versus their sibling. Our microbes are the front line determining what your body does with the calories you consume. So one of the most important tenets that I talk about, and this is a big takeaway from today, here's an action step. As your diversity of microbes goes down, your rate of obesity goes up. And this is published in the International Journal of Obesity, revealed that a higher diversity of gut bacteria is directly correlated with less weight gain, independent of calorie intake. All right? In Epicaloric, all right? Now, here's the thing. In our culture, test, testing our microbiome, the average person here in the, in, in the Western world, versus somebody who's eating more of their indigenous diet, living closer to nature. Well, like, my, again, my wife being from Kenya, there's certain tribes there, like the Maasai, for example. Taking their microbiome samples, they have at least four times more diversity than we do. And just say, maybe we have, I'm just going to throw a number out. This is not real, but just say we have a thousand different species. They have 4,000. Mm. Say we have a million different species. They have 4 million. And as that, we, and here we have so many, to give the analogy of like a rainforest, a lot of endangered species and a lot of things have gone extinct in our gut. And so as that diversity goes down, our rate of diabetes goes up, our rate of obesity goes up, our rate of heart disease goes up. We know this now. So what's one of the big takeaways from today? Increase the diversity of our microbes. You can take all the probiotics you want. It will not work. You have to provide the food source for the microbes to be able to actually colonize. Right. Because just like anything in nature, 
if it doesn't have a food source, it, it will literally go extinct or it has to leave and find it. And so what does that look like? You could go, these are this category of called prebiotics, but I'm going to really blow your mind. This is very powerful. You can go to Dr. Google and look up best prebiotic foods. And we talk about some of them, asparagus, Jerusalem artichoke, onions, garlic, but it's really missing the point. Every single real food that humans have eaten through our evolution, every real food has a prebiotic capacity for certain strains of microbes, everything. So you don't want to just start thinking in terms of that. We want to think in terms of diversity of foods, period, mm. right? Because even if we're eating healthy, we're eating a vast, well, I'm sorry, we're eating an array of plants, right? We tend to start eating the same thing over and over, even if you were eating healthy, right? So what I want to implore everybody to do, what we found in the data is the number one way to increase your microbe diversity is to increase the diversity of plants that you're eating, all right? The number one thing you can do. So my son just yesterday, he was like, dad, why you been eating apples lately? Because I don't really eat apples. But I just like, I wrote this book, you know, so I'm like proactively adding in new inputs. And there's inulin. We got inulin there that feeds a certain beneficial strain of microbes. Like we got bacteriodetes and firmicutes as two general classifications. Inulin has been found to reduce these um, firmicutes and increase the bacteriodetes, which is associated with leanness. All right. So last, this is the piece is going to blow your mind. Last piece of this. When you eat a food, when you eat that berry, you're eating that berry's microbiome. Mm. When you eat that avocado, you're eating that avocado's microbiome. All right. You're taking it on. It's becoming a part of you. You are and what also, you eat. <laughs> this is real. This is real. You know, and you're providing the prebiotic fibers for diversity of microbes to to be able to proliferate and colonize and shift that ratio of because you need prebiotics for the probiotics create postbiotic mm -hmm. right creating things in you for you right these are, this is this wonderful symbiotic relationship that's gotten really skewed because the damage again remove the cause what's killing our microbes of course we get in and we talk about that but also what are some things we could do to encourage person I love that. I could talk to you all day. Such good information. And I feel like it's diversifying your microbiomes. I know that's something that we've never talked about on the show, um, but we have talked about rotating your greens. You know, people are like, oh, I eat a green, I eat spinach. What about spinach and arugula and red leaf lettuce and bok choy? And there's so many, but I think when we diversify our greens, also diversify our fruits like apples and oranges and pears and pineapples and berries and it's so important for us to have a variety um, and just and just switch it up. And also we um, I want to get into like growing our own foods, like sprouting that, you know, especially if you're in a food desert, just, you know, learning how to sprout and the sprout bag costs 25 cents. So I think this is, is such great information. And I know people are going to get way more when they pick up your book. But thank you for giving us um, just some really solid evidence of like if we really want to take our health to the next level. We have to be mindful of what we're eating. We have to be mindful of how we're sleeping. We have to be mindful of the stress we're taking on and know that we are your grandmother. Like we are the ones who have to nurture ourselves because if you're just going out to the doctors, they might not even know any better. And it's like, bless their hearts. They grew up with the same kind of education as we did. And so I just appreciate your, your scientific brain. You doing all these studies, you 
you know, spending all that time reading all those books to put this information together for us because we need it. We we love your nurturing. I love your nurturing. I love your stories. So thank you so much for sharing them. But I'm just I'm just overjoyed that um, I got a chance to um, just interview you and just really understand more about you than I knew before and also get this information for the community. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's, it's my honor. Thank you so much for holding a space and asking wonderful questions. It's, it's been awesome. Thank you. Is there anything else you want to share just before we uh, wrap up? We do have a quick little speed round, but was there anything you want to share? Ooh, speed round. Okay, yes. I, I do not want to leave people without giving a spe very specific food, too. So you just mentioned leafy greens. So one of the studies that I talk about in the book, this was published in the journal Nutrients, found that for every additional serving of vegetables consumed each day, specifically green leafy vegetables, for every additional serving consumed each day, the participants in the study lost an additional one-third centimeter off of their waist. Right, mm. So it's a direct one-to-one -one causality with eating vegetables and reducing our waist circumference. So just something to keep in mind, again, when people say, you know, eat your veggies, eat. why? Why? And so I'm really providing the why and also, of course, the overarching understanding the big picture. So just wanted to drop that on everyone. I love that. Eat your greens. Eat all the greens, all the veggies, all the things. And then, you know, we will have not only the health and the vitality and the body being able to heal itself, but also the body comes along with it. Like like you said, it's almost just like the icing on top um, yeah. of your well-baked pick. And I also want to call out the fact that, because I feel like me and you are the same on this, you don't have to be perfect. You know, I, I like my cookies. I'm glad you said I could have my cookie earlier, you know, because I do try to have a green drink after just to kind of balance out my microbiome. <laughs> like, look, where's my green juice at? Every time I get my donut, you know, I was like, okay, I'll, at least if, at least I'm going to have a green juice to get the fiber and, and, and hold that down. But I love that you, everything that you teach is, is accessible for, for people and also letting people, meeting people where they are, which I think is really important. Um, when we're talking about health and nutrition, because everyone's doing their best that they can. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. So if you're out there listening, you're like, whoa, this is way new than anything I've ever heard. And it's starting to happen. And again, it's not to bash anything that's out there, because most people that are putting out that information, they have the best intention. They haven't just studied deeply on how different foods cause inflammation, how toxic different foods have, have been. So I highly suggest checking out his book, Eat Smarter, and rapid fire question number one, what's your favorite food? If you could only eat one thing, which we know you'll never do because you want to decrease, increase the diversity of your microbiome, but if you could only eat one thing, what would it be? Oh, that is so hard. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll just tell you what the first thing that jumped up for me was, and this is tough because another one jumped right with it, but sweet potato. I love sweet potatoes. Yes. Okay. Awesome. And the favorite book you read this year outside of your book, of course. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, Limitless by my, my friend Jim Quick. I love that. I love that. That one's on my list. Awesome. And the last thing, if you could change one thing, one thing in the world only, what would it be? I think this is the a domino that will knock over so many others. Uh, if I could change one thing, I would instantly change our the education of our healthcare providers to be able to actually invoke and teach 
patients on real health, on food, on nutrition. I would immediately, instantly, if I could, if I had that Aladdin lamp vibe, that's what I would do because it's really still about people. I wouldn't just instantly make everybody healthy. I would create a system in which health can flourish and we can still do the work to become better teachers and become the best version of ourselves. I love Thank you so much. It's been such an honor to have you on here. If y'all want to find, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can get copies of your book and just enjoy some more of you. Awesome. Thank you so much. So the book is available everywhere books are sold, I think, because they keep getting sold out. Uh, so definitely pop over to Amazon. Barnes & Noble has copies right now as of this recording still. Uh, Amazon should be back in any day or even when you're listening to this, it might be in stock. But if it's not, just put in the, the request so that it comes as soon as the new shipment comes in. It's, it's, it's crazy that I'm saying this that the books keep getting sold out because it feels like it's like an old record back in the day, like something, you know, coming out. Um, but also, you know, Books A Million, uh, local bookstores, just, you know, pop online and you can find a book pretty much anywhere. Or you can go to sleepsmarterbook.com as well. And I actually, I don't talk about this enough, but there's a 10 video mini course that we did for Eat Smarter. It's like a complimentary course targeting specific foods that, again, have clinical evidence on helping to optimize our fat loss related hormones. So you can go there for that. And people can check me out on Instagram. I'm at Sean Model, S-H-A-W-N Model. And I do some pretty cool stuff on there now too. I was very reluctant. I was reluctant to get onto another platform, but it's, it's been pretty. So you can find me there. And of course, where you're listening to this amazing podcast, you can find my show. It's called The Model Health Show as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sean. This has been such a treat to have you on. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your research. And thank you for providing us with these resources to take our life and our health to the next level. And thank all of you listening. It is such an honor to bring you special guests like Sean and so many others to come. Let me know below. If there's someone you want to see on here, let me know who it is. If there's some topic that you want us to dive into, go ahead and leave it in the comments. Make sure you subscribe. And it would mean the world to me if you left a review. Those five-star reviews help us get great guests like Sean and so many others. So make sure you leave a review. Make sure you subscribe. And I will see you next time. But until then, take care of yourself. Take care of others. Take care of the world. One day at a time. One breath at a time. Peace and love. I just want to take a moment to say thank you for being part of the Get Loved Up community. I like to share topics and people making a positive impact in the world, and your feedback means the world to me. If you haven't already left a review, please leave a five-star review and let me know what you want to hear more of on the show. I'm here for you, and together we're making the world a better place, one day at a time, one show at a time. Thank you for listening.